Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam, asher kidshanu b'mitzvotah b'tzibanu la'asok b'divrei Torah, v'harevna Adonai Eloheinu et divrei Torateka, b'finu ufi amka b'et Yisrael, v'niye anaknu v'tze etzeinu v'tze etzei, amka b'et Yisrael kulanu yodea shemeka v'londei Torateka lishma, Baruch atah Adonai hamlamet Torah le'amo Yisrael. Baruch Ata Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Asher Bachar Banu Mikol HaAmin, Venatan Lanu Et Torato. Baruch Ata Adonai Notein HaTorah. Amen. And may it be your will, Hashem my God, that a mishap not come about through me, and may I not stumble in a matter of Torah and cause my colleagues to rejoice over me. And may I not say regarding something which is to me that it is to whore, and not regard something which is to whore that it is to me. And may my colleagues not stumble in a matter of Torah, and I rejoice over them. For Hashem grants wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding of God. Unveil my eyes that I may perceive wonders from your Torah. Amen. Amen. Mashiach now. Well, we are coming into the final Shabbat of the month of Elul, the final Shabbat of the year 5781. Wow. Here we go. Amen. It's crazy. It's about to be 5782, like next week. <laughs> Yeah, this Great. is pretty much the final tour portion for 5781. Wow. And what's interesting is that the High Holy Days once again knocking on the door, this rumination is very poignant. Rumination 48. Why do some have such an aversion to the fact that we will be judged according to our deeds? Hmm. Well, this is something I always like to think about in the understanding of whether you're righteous or wicked. Because, you know, sometimes we... we we get in our minds, you know, all oh, that person's evil or they're bad because they've done bad things. But it's just like if they've done any mitzvah in their life, they've done any good deed in their life, they get rewarded for it. Now, whether it's in this world of the Alam Haba, that's a different story. But, yeah, we're all judged according to our deeds. And so it doesn't we don't get to do like, oh, that person's absolutely written off kind of thing <laughs> no. um, which would be true of ourselves technically because i mean some of the things we've done you know the interesting thing about this is i think of the writer of hebrews when he says for god chastises those whom he loves and if he doesn't then you are illegitimate that's right. 
In other words, I want Hashem to deal with me when I do something wrong right then and there, instead of waiting for Rosh Hashanah to come around, you know? Right. These days don't necessarily evoke uh, a fear or necessarily dread with me. I see it as a happy time. Yeah. It's a, it's a time when Hashem is close. He's always close at the beginning of the month, some rabbis say. And that's the time when you can really make use of it. It's probably why in Ashkenazic tradition, they begin selling coat 10 days before. In some communities, some do it seven days before. Uh, while Sephardim started at the beginning of the world, and it runs all the way to Yom Kippur. They get really serious about the penitential prayers. Um, yeah, because the king is in the field at the beginning of Lul. Uh, so why not? <laughs> serious, you know, and yeah. say, welcome the king. It's, it's like that verse in Revelation that says, I stand at the door and knock. Mm -hmm. Any man opens, I will come into him. That's right. Meaning if we surrender our will, if we, if we submerge our uh, ambition, our ego, our self-awareness, all that stuff, and he will come in Yeah, and make his home. So, Which we talked about this, I think, back during the three weeks, because I think we discovered this year the king was in the field back then, you know, so like during the three weeks, and then we had, you know, from uh, Tuba Av till beginning of Elul, and then we started back over with the king being in the field again, you know, so it was kind of like a, a teaser, <laughs> then like the full blown thing. And then you have the, the sages teach us that during the first 10 days of Tishrei, one Jew has the power of 10 Jews. So we each become a minion. So that's nice. Uh, kind of yeah. invoking uh, Abraham's intercession for Sodom and Gomorrah. Right. Will you spare the city if there be only 10 righteous? Mm -hmm. and, and he uses the word Zedekim because the Zedekim hold the world together. And what did Peter say concerning Lot? He was a Zadik. Yeah, but yet he debased his soul by being among them. Yeah. You know, he brought himself down, you know. Because it's an impure place. You might as well be. You can't recite a bracha in an impure place, you know. Exactly. There's just so much more come, comes to the surface when you when you just meditate and think about it, you know, the what's between the lines, what's hidden behind the words that, you know, Peter uses, John uses, Shaul, uh, Yaakov, you know, because so much more comes to the surface. But, um, yeah, I wouldn't want Hashem to deal with me, to judge me now. It's not a bad thing. I was, how are you going to know if you're doing right or wrong? Mm -hmm. And it was like a father that corrects his son. Who, What father or mother would not do it, you know? 
Um, What's it like if you go more than 40 days without any kind of hardship, then there's probably something wrong because (laughs) that's showing you that Hashem is paying attention to you, that you're basically along the lines of you're, you're one of his children because he, he chastises those who he loves. Well, yeah, it's like we pray when we do Havdalah. In my Siddur, we're praying for mercy, praying for good sustenance. We're praying for good parnasa. We're praying that everything we put our hands to, that he will bless. You know, Zekus, you know. Mm-hmm. It's a merit, it's, it's goodness, you know. But Hashem desires to give us these things because he knows that we need them. Um, which is positive reinforcement, so it's better than negative reinforcement. Um, especially when rearing a child, and that's how Hashem does things as well. Yeah. Um, but the context of this rumination begins with if you were to mention that we will all one day be judged, you'll get no argument from most Bible believers. If you say that we will be judged according to our deeds, then you will most likely have many of those same people argue with you. And yet, it's right there in the Bible. Yeah. I mean, knowing that most believers, especially um, in Christianity, speaking generally, of course, um, they have a, a, a pension for just saying, well, it's just the New Testament we're concerned about. Well, then think about this verse. And behold, I'm coming quickly and my reward is with me. Mm. He's calling us here. To give to everyone according to his work. And that's in bold. According to his work. (laughs) I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And this is Revelation 22, 12 and 13. (laughs) <laughs> yeah this one for Proverbs I mean all these verses are great I mean if you say surely we did not know this does not he who weighs the hearts consider it he who keeps your soul does he not know it and will he not render to each man according to his deeds I mean, I'd be uh, quoting uh, Kohelet twelve thirteen right about at this point because that's perfectly relevant. Mm-hmm. Sum up the matter: fear Hashem, keep His mitzvah. Keep His yep, Shomer mitzvah. Yes, <laughs> which you were talking about, Sefer Yira, 
you know, which is the first part of that verse, fearing Hashem. Yeah. Because the yeah. whole thing about keeping the mitzvot, if you're keeping the mitzvot, but yet you don't have fear of Hashem, you know, it's just kind of like you're, you're not necessarily wasting your time because doing the mitzvot eventually, especially if you're doing it with proper intent, they will bring you to that posture. But ultimately, you really want to do it with, with love. But love is built on the fear, you know, so it's like the steps and the progress that you do. Yeah. Love and obedience go together. Yeah. They always do. You can't, you can't separate the two. Um, well, you can, but it'd just be a false reality. <laughs> yeah. You're just, you know, and all kinds of heresy can creep up. You know, you're deceiving yourself because what is Yaakov right? In his letter. Yeah, faith without works is dead. Yeah. It's like a man who looks into a mirror and he forgets what he saw and goes about his business. Mm -hmm. Forgetting the manner in which he saw himself. Reinforced delusion. Self-reinforced delusion. Reinforced delusion. That's a million-dollar phrase. <laughs> I mean, the thing with the Torah is it was given in the presence of an entire nation while the majority, pretty, of all the religions apart from it started with just a single man. In mm -hmm. a closet, in a basement, however you want to, wherever they got started. Yeah. That that that's pretty much the definition for a cult. Wow. That was that was intense. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like Jim Jones or uh uh Waco, Texas, you know, fairly recent memory there. Mm -hmm. Uh Joseph Smith, who started the Mormon <laughs> religion. Yeah. Uh, Muhammad, Islam. And yes, you can, in a sense, put the church fathers in with that. Yeah. Because in Catholicism, they see Peter as the first pope. Which Peter knew he wasn't. He, he knew he was just a man doing the will of Hashem, just like all and the other Talmudim. And he didn't start anything new. No. <laughs> There's that. Which is so crazy. Like, Messiah never taught us to start anything new. Like, so to think about a whole religion existing about the Messiah who never told us to do anything new. <laughs> like, what is that? That's interesting because while I was in the church and I was like, you know how you witness to certain people when you were in the church trying to get them like come to service. Oh, you got to come to Sunday service. Something great's going to happen. You know, this and that. You know, I, I could never really sit down with my mother, for example, and 
share that with her. But now that I'm living out the Torah, and I've explained to her that this is not religion, this is God's way. And she actually sat there and listened. Whereas my brother, on the other hand, is so filled with the dogma of the church, I could not even get a word in. There is a dichotomy there that is very uh, blatant. Yeah. Do you have to be so dogmatic? Are you? Is your are, is your position that weak that it cannot withstand debate? Or a civilized discussion of the scriptures and, and what they say concerning how we are to walk before him. There's a lot of defensiveness too. Yeah. Which, you know, to be able to have an intellectual conversation without being defensive, you know, I don't know if that's ever heard of. Because I think, you know, with us, especially, we have sources and we don't have our own opinions to talk about and we don't have to force anything to work. You know, it's just like the most trouble at best we would have is like, well, if you'll give me a moment to go look that up. <laughs> <In patience. You> know, <laughs> yeah, that probably is our big thing. Could you could you just be patient? <laughs> well, I looked at so put this in context for you real quick. Oh, but then one thing you'll get is, oh, well, I don't listen to the rabbis. And then there's that. <laughs> oh, that's traditions of men, you know. Which what makes, you know, Johnny Mac or uh, John Gill or, you know, Johnny Mac, John MacArthur, you know, or uh, a Spurgeon or any of those people, what makes them more qualified than a rabbi? I know it's I've thought of that over the years you know yeah because those are totally footnotes and commentaries and bibles <laughs> yeah how is it that you rely on these men who barely understand the scriptures while with the Jewish people they have 3500 years of understanding it was the Torah was given to them, not Matthew Henry, not Spurgeon, not any of the theologians. Yeah. There's that verse in Deuteronomy, and you shall diligently teach these things to your children. Mm -hmm. That's passing it on from one generation after another. And, and I've said this before, they are the ones that have been given the Torah. They have preserved it all this time. The halakha on writing a Torah scroll is strict. Yeah. Scribes are given the instruction that if you miss even a space or a letter, you will destroy the universe. Uh, I keep thinking about the new Spider-Man trailer. 
that's what that's exactly what they did they just broke reality and it's just kind of like oh that's that's what that means (laughs) (laughs) pop culture man it just i don't know i made the comment before that uh basically you know it's easier to palletize certain truths if we can see it in more of a fiction and sci-fi way. Cause you know, like if you think about, okay, who really understands the laws of being a sofer? Who even knows what a sofer is? You know, in English it says scribe, but you know, these individuals, they count the letters, they count the spaces. They know that the Torah is written out of order. In antiquity, they used to know the correct order. So if you just think about that for a second, because this is why they were questioning Yeshua and saying, okay, well, tell us, what does this passage say? And what, you know, and and Yeshua would tell them, you know, like, for instance, the greatest commandment. In the Torah, the greatest commandment is never lined out like this is the greatest commandment. You know, but when you get into the sages, obviously you can do that. Yeah. But um, why would he put a passage in Vayikra next to the main passage in Devarim? You know, and it's just like the scribes are like, okay, cool, perfect. It's like, because that's the way it's supposed to be. But we know the Torah is out of order, but the, the scribes know the correct order. So, I mean, you think about just those few examples, and it's just like what you just said. If you get one letter wrong or make the space where it's not supposed to be, you destroy the universe. Because why? The Torah is the blueprint of the universe. Yeah, the 32 paths of wisdom. So, two letters and the 10 Sephiroth. So, yeah, so they were, uh, they were talking about the, the Marvel movies that they have at least three uh, characters that have been breaking reality now. <laughs> and so they're like messing up timelines and stuff. And it's just kind of like everything is going crazy and chaotic. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> so that's what happens when you mess up a tourist scroll. <laughs> uh, uh, so now you got me thinking expanse to ring gates. Uh-huh. Are mean, they doing that on there too? <laughs> I, I kind of hearken it back to season four when they had to shut down the reactors on all their ships. So they would let the uh, the um, the ring station know there's a sphere at the center of this huge sphere that contains all the ring gates. Okay including the soul gate from our solar system into the ring space. This particular sphere controls the whole thing. Wow. And they had access to over 1,400 solar systems. And when these ring, when they, and when these ring, other rings started to appear within the ring space, I thought Sephiro. Within because they're all spheres. Within Sephiro, within Sephiro, the limitless nothing. Wow, I mean, yeah, it, to me, it, it's really incredible. I mean, 
that, that people can imagine this stuff in, in a science fiction story, you know? Yeah. That allows travel from one part of the galaxy to the other. But then again, whether it's intersolar or intergalactic, we don't know. Um, you know, like in the movie uh, Interstellar, where it's supposedly this race deliberately places a wormhole out beyond the orbit of Saturn. Wow. And it crosses billions of light years. I mean, billions. You end up in another galaxy entirely. Hmm. You have to imagine the consequences of something like that. Einstein's theory of relativity. E equals mc squared. And no, in that equation, the only constant is the speed of light. Mm -hmm. Everything else is a variable. And what we have to understand is that based on the laws of physics as we understand them and that, that Hashem has put in place, we cannot even get close to the speed of light. We could potentially make it to about a third of the speed of light. But in all reality, you know, it comes down to, you know, discovering wormholes. And basically wow. what a wormhole is, is you just simply take a piece of paper, put two holes at either end, and you fold like this. That's the shortest distance between two points. Oh, collapsing it. Like the way you roll up a Torah scroll. Literally folding space. There is an account in the Torah about Yaakov who went right past Moria. It's in the Midrash. I just shared this teaching this past Yeah, he, he was a day away from it. And then he realized, wait a minute, I just went past the holiest place on earth. Mm -hmm. Hashem folded space for him and he was there in an instant mm -hmm. yep that happened at least two other times because uh when abraham sent eliezer to go get a bride for yitzhak he folded the land so eliezer could get there by sundown and when we left mitzrayim we made an 11 day journey in three days yep so, yeah. Yeah. Trouble is when we got to like uh, the sin of the golden calf, Korok's rebellion, and the sin of the spies, it turned out to be 40. <laughs> yeah, there's that. Oh, because the uh, the spies, they were given supernatural travel through the whole entire land. It only took them 40 days. Yeah, and then they got supernatural strength and they brought back the biggest grapes you ever saw. Which is mm -hmm. why you had giants in the land. That's why they said, well, we're like grasshoppers in their sight. That's yeah. what Rabbi Foreman pointed out when I watched this video about the spies, why it was so bad. Yeah. Um, but again, you know, that's judging works. And which brings up a, and another important point is we have to be careful how we think. Absolutely. 
which is this week's horror shop all about choice. Yeah. I set before you this day the blessing yeah. and the curse. This day, say yom. Um, so the next verse is from Jeremiah 17.10. I, Hashem, search the heart. I test the mind. Even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. What does Yochanan the Immerser say when he came on the scene? Bring forth fruits of repentance. Proof that you're doing Teshuvah. That your Teshuvah is sincere. That you're doing it for the sake of heaven. Um, I was reading from the Gates of Repentance um, yesterday when we were studying all day, you know, and, and he says that you should be prepared to meet God every day as if you're going to die. Wow. Well, you that know, goes how, with the uh, Pirkei Avot that says repent one day before your death. Yeah. Yeah, that, he quotes that. Yeah, he, he actually quotes that. Yeah, I think he does. Um, yeah, drop that, man. Oh, now you got me started. <laughs> uh, hey, tis the season. I, yeah. Not <laughs> the one in December, not, folks. This. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Where we get out the apples and the honey. <laughs> Oh, my goodness, man. Oh, here we go. A land flowing with milk and honey. Milk and honey. Oh. See, why, why won't you believe that the land is good? Hashem has said the land is good. And why is Moshe giving him, gave himself over to this false narrative of the spies? Yep. It's the same thing in the garden. When... Then Nakash comes to Eve and says, Elohim, and does not use the four-letter name. Yeah. This, this month is, his four-letter name is coupled with Elohim, meaning that he is ready. He wants us to come back to him. He wants us to be embraced by him. Talking about the month of Elul or the month of Tishrei? Well, Elul. Okay. As, as well as Tishrei. Because think about it. We, we, he embraces us. He brings us in. Right. You know, Rosh Hashanah, you know, okay, here we go. Um, this is what you need to work on. This, you know, you did good on this, you know, during the year. You know, so you need to work on this. You know, this could use some improvement. You know, that's how we need to really look at it. Again, the Moedim are, we're rehearsing every single year. And every year we get better and better and better until finally that day comes when Mashiach comes and bam, we just nail it. I mean, maybe soon. 
in our day. <laughs> I mean, I mean. Okay, this is page 127 of the Gates of Teshuva, the sixth way. The sixth way is as follows. At all times, one should be prepared to meet his God. For man does not know when his time has come. Therefore, one must constantly reassess his thinking and prepare himself through acts of charity to return his spirit in purity to he who has bequeathed it to him. That's the Elohei Neshama prayer. Yep. Uh, Modayani as well. Yep. Um, this, these words echo Mashiach uh, Yeshurim. And Romans 12, 1 through 2. Oh, we're going to get stuck on Romans 12 again. <laughs> well, this is the exile of Rome. So I guess it's big. Yeah. <laughs> yep, absolutely. Um, I'll just bring that up. Because we actually have been going there quite a bit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this was one of my favorite letters uh, before I left the church. Like, I was always like, yeah, this is my favorite chapter of Romans, Romans 12, you know. And actually, on my podcast, I started a, a series, which I have yet to finish, but I started the series with the uh, the pretext, which is kind of terrible to have a pretext for starting a podcast. But, you know, it is what it is that uh, Shaul was not negating the Torah which I felt is such a low argument. But for today's generation, I mean, that's the highest thing. It's like, if it's not Romans, it's Galatians, you know? And unfortunately, that has been such a successful argument for people, you know? And I was thinking, why don't I just go through Romans, just scrub it, every single verse, every single letter. And I did that, and it was hours of podcasting. I only got to, like, chapter four. <laughs> but by the by the time i got to chapter four i kept thinking to myself when i hit the record button i'm like why well, do this because this is pointless this is torah you know like i shouldn't be doing this to win an argument you know so that's probably why i didn't finish it but it's just sad that uh some of the greatest insights come from this letter and they totally are Torah based. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can echo that testimony because for the longest time, you know, a lot of his sayings, you know, I found them to, found them to be perplexing. You know, what's he really saying? Mm -hmm. Those are good questions to ask, by the way. What's Shaul really saying here? What's he getting at? Yeah. You know, what's his point, you know? And, and most people, they, they just default to the theological box, always. They let some other person's understanding, or misunderstanding, I should say, guide their thinking when it should not be that way. Mm -hmm. This is not how the sages distilled the scriptures. Wow. 
One important Talmudic principle is Gezer Shabbat. Look for similar, look for words like these that are used elsewhere in the Tanakh. This is the first, I think, in my opinion, this is the first step in properly understanding Shaul's words. Wow. It's a heavy statement. Watch how he phrases what he says. His Greek is good. It's good, <laughs> but I'll tell you right now, if you want some really clean grammatical Greek, read Hebrews. Nice. It is so good. Good enough that he can convey Hebraic concepts or Torah principles in a foreign language. Just like Ankylos in Aramaic, same principle. Wow. That's a nice connection. Ankylos to Aramaic, Shaul to Greek. Mm -hmm. Okay. 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 So continuing here. Okay. He should examine his conduct and actions on a daily basis. He must oversee them in the mornings and scrutinize them at every available opportunity. Our sages of blessed memory said in Shabbos 153a, Rabbi Eliezer says, repent one day before your death, which you said earlier. His disciples responded, Rabbanu, can a person know the day he will die? He answered, then how much more should he repent today? Since he may die tomorrow, and in this way, all of his days will be in a state of teshuva. Amen. The Pasuk further says in Koholet 9.8, let your garments always be white and let your head lack no oil. The whiteness of one's garments is a metaphor for the cleanliness of the soul through repentance and the oil for one's good deeds and reputation. As the Pasuk states, I bid 7.1, a good name is better than fine oil. Our sages of blessed memory further commented regarding this in Koholet Rabban 9.8. This is compared to the wife of a sailor who adorned herself and placed eyeshadow on her eyes while her husband traveled the high seas. Her neighbors asked her, your husband is a long way off, so why bother beautifying yourself to no purpose? She responded, my husband is a sailor. Perhaps a sea wind will blow this way and ever so quickly he will return and find me. So here I am, adorned wow. for him. When in a state of peace and tranquility, a person should envisage the anxiety that will take hold of him, the fear and trembling on the day of his death. When, this time when his time comes to ascend and give an account and how he will confess his sins brokenheartedly at the time of death, he should do this throughout his days, confessing his sins in a submissive manner with the fear of heaven upon him. Selah. That's all sorts of parables, you know, like the, uh, the virgins who are waiting with their lamps. 
you know, making sure you have enough oil. Yep. And I love the idea, too, because, you know, sometimes you think, okay, how much teshuva can we really make? You know, we're doing sleek coat. We're, you know, we're getting ready to go through the Maxor. You know, we have the, the Vidui that we're going to be saying a lot, like a lot, especially on Yom Kippur. And it's just kind of like, how much? And it's just like, until the end, <laughs> you know, until it's time to stand before the king. So, and, and the idea of uh, it could be at any moment. That's, that's hope. That's expectation. You know, especially in the midst of people saying, you know, there's no need for you to beautify yourself. Your husband's a sailor, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, what are you doing? And I mean, just that level of Amuna love expectation that right there, that's something I need to just sit and talk with Hashem about, you know, not that I feel like I lack in those things, but I feel like I fail in the mentality that was presented by what you just shared, because think about that character of that lady. You know, that's how, that's how we should be. We should be that wife who beautifies herself for the king who's in the field and who's coming. Yeah, like that's intense. Like the, the mind frame. How do we beautify ourselves with mitzvot? Good deeds, charity. And, and he looks upon it and says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Mm. We cannot be like the, uh, the wicked servant who took his talent and buried it in the sand. Because he knew that his master was a hard man. Basically, he was in Lashon Hara. Yeah, telling him who he was. <laughs> and it's like, uh, you sure you want to <laughs> accuse me of these things? Give the one talent to him that has ten. Yeah. <laughs> That, yeah, I don't, that tells, I mean, that, yeah, that just tells me that Hashem will take away even that which he has. Yeah. That's deep. That is very deep. I exhort you, therefore, brothers, in view of God's mercies, to offer yourselves a sacrifice for Bonhai. And set apart for God. That is in the service of Hashem. Mm -hmm. That's the living offering. Um, the Kabbalah of that is you're submerging your own ego, your own ambition your own desires, your wants of the goal of life, 
Because we're not our own. We've been bought with a price. We've been yes. redeemed. We've been brought into the uh, Voda Hashem. Yeah, we become a Mishkan. Yeah, living. You know, this is why the Mishkan in the wilderness is referred to as a living entity because it is an earthly representation of the heavenly. Hmm. Because it's the pattern that was shown to Moshe. And we pattern our lives after that. So Shaul is using the language of the Mishkan, just like the writer of Hebrews does. <laughs> he does see, that's the thing. The writer of Hebrews does not use the two Beit HaMikdashes, but rather the Mishkan in the wilderness. Um, because he wants to reinforce the fact that this is the pattern of our life in Messiah. In the one body of Messiah, going back to last week's uh, rumination, <laughs> our identity. Connection number one. <laughs> well, actually, it's probably connection number two or three by this point. I think we connected a lot of stuff from last week already. <laughs> yeah, well, then uh, if he called, would you know his voice? Mm -hmm. Are you going to read Romans 12, 2? In other words, do not let yourselves be conformed to the standards of the Olam Jose. Instead, keep letting yourselves be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So that you will know what God wants and will agree that what he wants is told. Purpose. That's important right there. What he wants is good. It's told. It's not for us to decide. Because he's already said it is good. Yeah, the Hasidic masters bring down that um, the decision for choosing life is already made. The decision for choosing good is already made because at the center of who we really are stemming from Hashem, that that's the root choice is good. The choice for life, you know, and they break it down to saying that you have many external factors that cover that up. But one of the clear cut ways you see through that is no matter how hard life is sometimes, no matter how much, you know, um, it's going to take effort for you to support your family. You know, you do it, you know, and it's just like, do I want to take my next breath? You know, it's like, well, I want to go, you know, do such and such event that's coming up. You know, like, for instance, if people are really ready to do apples and honey, you know, it's just like, man, I, I want to do my best to try to like, you know, we don't ever think about it like this, but I'm going to do my best to try to live and get to Rosh Hashanah, you know, and it's just kind of like, but we don't see it that way. But truly choosing the good because we're all from Hashem, that's at the core of our very being. 
But Hashem goes, that's the freedom of choice that I give to all mankind. Do you want to live who you truly are? Or do you want to cover that up? Which is crazy because that's Klepo. Yeah. So anyway. Yeah. Um, Likute Amarim chapter one has been taught in Nida end of chapter three. An oath is administered to him before birth, warning him, be righteous and be not wicked. And even if the whole world tells you that you are righteous, regard yourself as if you were wicked. This requires to be understood for it contradicts the Mishnahic dictum about chapter two, and be not wicked in your own estimation. Furthermore, if a man considers himself to be wicked, he will be grieved at heart and depressed and will not be able to serve God joyfully and with a contented heart. While if he is not perturbed by this self-appraisal, it may lead him to irreverence, God forbid. Mm. However, the matter will be understood after a preliminary discussion. We find in the Gemara five distinct types. A righteous man who prospers, a righteous man who suffers, a wicked man who prospers, a wicked man who suffers. And an intermediate one, Benoni. It is there explained that the righteous man who prospers is the perfect Zadik. The righteous man who suffers is the imperfect Zadik. And Ra'aya Mahema, Parashat Mishpatim, it is explained that the righteous man who suffers is one whose evil nature is subservient to his good nature, and so on. In the Gemara and Barakot 9, it is stated that the righteous are motivated by their good nature and the wicked by their evil nature, while the intermediate men are motivated by both, and so on. Rabbi declared, I, for example, am a Benoni, said Abayi to him, Master, you do not make it possible for anyone to live. And so on. <laughs> the Talmudim of Yeshua talked to him like this. Yes. Because <laughs> Yeshua is like, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you know, even if you look at a woman lustfully, it's adultery, you know, and they're just like, man, who can, who can stand up to that? Like, who can pass these tests kind of thing? Or if Hashem were to mark iniquity, who would stand? Come on. Come on. But he is merciful and forgiving that he should be feared. Wow. You're Wow. A reverential fear. Not, not, not the Hebrew word pakad, which is a flat out, oh, I'm afraid of everything, you know, like the bully on the street, you know, or the gangster with a gun, you know, that kind of thing but rather that you respect what Hashem has said and commanded. To understand all the aforesaid clearly, an explanation is needed, as also to understand what Job said in Bhagavad Gita 1, Lord of the universe, 
you have created righteous men and you have created wicked men, for it is not preordained whether a man will be righteous or wicked. It's also necessary to understand the essential nature of the rank of the intermediate. Surely that cannot mean one whose deeds are half virtuous and half sinful. For if this were so, how could Rabbah err in classifying himself as a Benoni? For it is known that he never ceased studying the Torah, so much so that the angel of death could not overpower him. How then could he err to have half of his deeds sinful? God forbid. Furthermore, at what stage can a person be considered a Benoni if when a man commits sins he is deemed completely wicked? But when he repents afterward, he is deemed completely righteous. Even he who violates a minor prohibition of the rabbis is called wicked. As it is stated in Yevamot 2 and in Nida chapter 1, moreover, even he who has the opportunity to forewarn another against sinning and does not do so is called wicked. Uh, Shavuot 6. All the more so he who neglects any positive law which he is able to fulfill, for instance, whoever is able to study Torah and does not, regarding whom our sages have quoted, because he hath despised the word of the Lord, that soul shall be utterly cut off. Take your life into your hands when you don't study Torah. <laughs> like, it just jumped all the way to like you despise it's like no you didn't make excuses that you didn't have time it's like no you you don't like the word of god like you just have you have something against it because you and i both know that we only need a muna as a mustard seed you know even if you could get one verse one letter that's how much love we're actually called to have for the torah that we should love just a letter of a verse. Hmm. So to the point that we got into with how this started, you know, like if the bar is so high, so to speak, who can even reach that? It's like, well, how, how, how much are you willing to reach? Because if you're willing to reach, you know, this is why I think about the man with the withered hand. You know, Yeshua told him to stretch out his hand. That seems kind of callous, you know, because it's just like, are you making fun of him? Like, what kind of, is this a, is this a sick game or something, you know? Like, he has a withered hand. He can't do that. And it's like, but the call is, are you willing to stretch forth your hand? You know, like Yeshua was showing us something so deep, something so profound that when it comes to Torah, when it comes to, our own judgment. Like, are you willing? You know, do you trust in the words of Hashem? You know, you make the point about one letter, and immediately I think, is that all Hashem is to you? Ooh. And are you willing to take up your bed and walk? Are you willing to go, as he said to the woman who's caught in adultery, brought before the, the Pharisees and the Zedekim, 
Where are your accusers? There are no qualified witnesses. Go and sin no more. No qualified witnesses. I'm reading a handbook of Jewish thought volume two about the, the trials, accusations, the witnesses and all that. Yeah. Like basically if your witnesses are not credible, the, the case is dropped. And around 29 CE or 30 CE, the courts like abolish themselves. And then 77 CE, it was completely done away with. So like, there's just totally this picture there. Yeah. I think another requirement of a qualified witness there must be Torah Kapam. There's that. So could you imagine the shame that could have been brought to each of those people ready to stone her? Like just a little it, bit of self like, like it says here, because they despise the word of Hashem. They're acting like Ben-Oni. But you can't be sitting on the fence. You got to make a decision. Yeah. And the master made the decision for them because they wouldn't. That's rich, man. Oh, my gosh. When he says, you who don't who have not sinned, you can cast the first stone. He was judging their works right then and there. What they were doing. Wow. Because he wasn't even bringing up their past. He was bringing up their present. He didn't have to. Which goes to the other point. Hashem does not need to destroy creation. All he has to do is restrain the divine presence, the divine orain self. And creation will implode in on itself. Rabbi Mendel Kesson says in a, in a podcast not too long ago that we really don't need to fight against the evil because it will implode in on itself. Words don't have any. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's... Oh, this is why I would rather be Hashem deal with me in the here and now, in this world. Because I would want to refine my character traits right here, right now. Like right, what we're doing right now. We're refining our middle right here, right now. Because why Hashem is revealing it to us as we record this podcast. Yeah, I need to be a sailor's wife. <laughs> we, we all do. <laughs> you know, yeah. as the body of Messiah, we need to beautify ourselves with mitzvot. Man. Man, that, that, I'm telling you, that hit me hard, bro. Wow. It does me. I mean, we, we just live in such a time where everything's so combative. You know, like without you even trying to talk or say anything about yourself, it's just kind of like you just kind of get this uh, this accosting, 
you know, when you walk around and you're just kind of like, I didn't do anything to you, you know, and it's just like people just want to get started and you're just like, okay. And trust me, I totally love violence. It's, it's not anything that's foreign to me, but at the same time, is that really what we're called to do? <laughs> just go around blowing stuff up all the time. More no. like Marco and Marlos <laughs> in the expanse throwing rocks at the inners, you know? Yeah. And, and Mars, I'm like, come on, man. He, and you, you're the one who says, oh, you guys haven't transcended violence against the belters. I'm sitting there saying to myself, really? So says the one who throws asteroids at the two inner planets of the solar system? Come on. Who are you kidding? Yeah, yeah. But no, because like, uh, again, you know, this this woman, she's she's just doing her thing. You know, she's so focused, like to the point that other people don't even matter until it's just like, why are you doing that? And then it's like, oh, this is uncomfortable for you. This is weird. You know, it is just kind of like, I I guess since we're having a conversation, I got to think about this now. Whereas before, it was just kind of like, I'm good. I mean, we get so wrapped up in our positions, our points of view, all these things. But what concerns me is what says Hashem. Yeah. I mean... You know, people have an aversion to stuff like this. What I'm reading from, you know, from the rabbis, you know. But these are not their words. Exactly. Because there are no words like his words. They, you know, I understand when I study Talmud that these these sages are going over every little bit and piece. Why? Because they want to be judged favorably by Hashem. They want to be as looking out for us. Yeah. They want to be as holy as possible. This is the whole point of Halakha. Why we study Halakha is to be like him. Yeah. As much as possible. You know, and, you know, looking over what's going on today, you know, like in in Israel right now, and how the nations are treating Israel, at every turn, they try to delegitimize Israel and this false narrative of a Palestinian state, which never existed to begin with. I posted something in the group earlier today. Something that Newt Gingrich said, the former Speaker of the House, said regarding the Palestinian people. Um, Yeah, look it up. It really caught my eye. And it is so true. You have even Arabs saying that this is false. It is a lie. There has never, ever been a Palestinian state. And this is a false narrative, a camouflage attempt to conquer the land of Israel on the part of the Palestinians. Wow. Um, And you have political elements within the Knesset which are behaving like the Arab Rav 
and preventing Kedusha from coming down, you know, in a sense, they're desecrating the land. Well, so we have to remember what Sam said, I'll never, I'll plant you in your land and I'll never uproot you again. Hmm. But at the same time, they have to deal with these Arab Rav elements, you know, those who are behaving like them. Um, because they need to make, they need to make rectification for that. You know, they have to do a tacoon for that, you know. I was reading some more from the secret of the Arab Rav and the last chapter about the water castle talks about how Rabbi Nachman says if you recite these 10 psalms it will bring about a tikkun for the wasted seed of Adam HaRishon which brought about the blemished souls into the world and thus the Arab Rav yeah the birth of the Arab Rav Um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's pretty incredible chapter. I mean, I'll have to reread it again, just so I can really understand what Rabbi Nachman is saying. Um, <laughs> Cause that's pretty yeah. deep, you know? Yep. So you say you posted it in the Sir group? Was it today? Yeah. Okay. Um, you can keep going. Yeah. Um, let's see. Let's see, it is continuing reading from uh, Likute Amarim, Chapter 1. Um, it is thus plain that such a person is called wicked more than he who violates a prohibition of the rabbis. If this is so, we must conclude that the intermediate man, Benoni, is not guilty even of the sin of neglecting to study the Torah. Hence, Rabbah could have mistaken himself for a Benoni. And there is a note, as for what is written, written in the Zohar, volume 3, page 231, he whose sins are few is classed as a righteous man who suffers. This is the query of Rav uh, Kanuna to Elijah. But according to Elijah's answer, Ibid, the explanation of a righteous man who suffers is as stated in Ra'aya Mahema on Parashat Mishpatim, which is given above. And the Torah has 70 facets, modes of interpretation. As for the general saying that one whose deeds and misdeeds are equally balanced is called Benoni, while he whose virtues outweigh his sins is called a Zadik. This is only the figurative use of the term in regard to reward and punishment, because he is judged according to the majority of his acts, and he is deemed righteous in his verdict, since he is acquitted in law. But according to the true definition and quality of the distinct levels and ranks, righteous and intermediate men, our sages have remarked that the righteous are motivated solely by their good nature. As it is written, and my heart is a void within me, 
that is void of an evil nature because he, David, had slain it through fasting. But whoever has not attained this degree, even though his virtues exceeded sins, cannot at all be reckoned to have ascended to the rank of the righteous. This is why our sages have declared in the Midrash, the Almighty saw that the righteous were few, so he planted them in every generation. For as it is written, the Sadiq is the foundation of the world. And that is Proverbs 10.25. The explanation of the questions raised above is to be found in the light of what Rabbi Kaim Vital wrote in Sha'ar HaKedushah and in Etz Kaim, Oral 50, Chapter 2, that in every Jew, whether righteous or wicked, are two souls, as it is written. The Neshamot, which I have made, alluding to two souls, there is one soul which originates in the Klippa, and the Sitra Akra, and which is clothed in the blood of a human being, giving life to the body, as is written, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. From it stem all the evil characteristics deriving from the four evil elements which are contained in it. These are anger, pride, which emanate from the element of fire, the nature of which is to rise upwards, the appetite for pleasures, from the element of water, for water makes to grow all kinds of enjoyment, frivolity and scoffing, boasting and idle talk, from the element of air and sloth, from the element of air and sloth and melancholy, from the element of earth. From this soul stem also the good characteristics which are to be found in the innate nature of all Israel, such as mercy and benevolence, for in the case of Israel, this soul of the klipa is derived from the klipat, nogah, which also contains good, as it originates in the esoteric tree of knowledge of good and evil. The souls of the nations of the world, however, emanate from the other, unclean klipot, which contain no good whatever, as is written in Etzkaim Portal 49, Chapter 3, that all the good that the nations do is done from selfish motives. So the Gemara comments on the verse, the kindness of the nations is sin, that all the charity and kindness done by the nations of the world is only for their own self-glorification and so on. And the sages actually talk about that uh, regarding the nations in Avodah Here we go. Tractate Avodah Zarah. Yep. Um. <laughs> yeah, were you able to find it? I did. Excellent. Todah Um, so moving on here. Now, was that source you were just reading? Was that Ramkal? Uh, this is the Kuteyamarim. 
chapter two. Oh, uh, that was that was Rabbi Nachman. Okay, because um, Sha'ar, no, not Sha'ar Shuva. What was the other one you were reading with the repenting? Uh, Sha'ar Teshuva, the gates of repentance. Oh, that is okay. Is that wrong, call? Uh, no, uh, Rabbanu Yona of Girona. Okay. All right, back to the rumination. Okay, so for the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. Matthew 16, 27. Each. And every person. Is the words of the master. <laughs> okay. This just flashed across my mind because I don't know why. But you know how the Citra Akra has one who comes with his rewards with him, but reindeer pull his sleigh. And he wears red. And he breaks into people's house. I mean, he comes into people's houses while they're sleeping, not creepy at all, and gives them things. But yet the Messiah says, I'm going to come with my ministry angels and I'm going to reward people according to their deeds. Side note, how do you encompass rewarding all of mankind in an instant? They don't have an aversion for St. Nick making a list and checking it twice to see if you were naughty or nice. Yeah. Uh, yet you have an aversion for this. <laughs> it's just so bizarre to me. That just, I did not mean to go there. It's just kind of like, the I really think I lost on me. <laughs> <laughs> A self-imposed irony, I must say. <laughs> you know, it's... Man. Insane. Insane. Oh, my gosh. This is why rumination is so important. Do we really understand what we're reading? Do we understand what we're studying? Connect these dots for just a minute, and you're just like, wait, what? Anyway, you were beautifully. Yeah, they, yeah, look at the bold statement. Look at the statements that are involved here. According to his word, according to his deeds, according to his ways, the fruit of his doings, according to his words, according to what he has done. Eskazer Shavah there. The master and Shavuah are both doing this. I mean, it's like dominoes, man. They all just, you know. <laughs> oh. Man. Therefore, we all must appear before the judgment seat of Mashiach and that each one may receive the things done 
in the body. According to what he has done, whether good or bad. Man. I can hear, oh, but it's the law of Christ. Really? I do not even see that phrase anywhere in the apostolic writings. I don't. That's just yeah. a made-up phrase to justify you departing from Derek Hashem, the way of Hashem. Or you can just go get the Messiah text <laughs> and look at a chapter called New Torah. <clears throat> because that's actually... Because, you know, I've been thinking about the whole uh, code word thing. So code word, law of Christ, is actually new Torah. Because the law of Christ is meant to be the Torah in its primordial form. The, the deeper aspects of the Torah, the, the inner dimensions, if you will, which is really Hasidic Judaism uh, and Kabbalah. You know, the Hasidic insights, you know, Baal Shem Tov, Alter Rebbe, things like that. And then you get into the Kabbalah, the Arizal, you know, like you really want to talk about the law of Christ. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> well, you know, it's like that last video of the. Um, I didn't come in my father's name. Mm -hmm. And you do not receive me. Right. The Father is the Torah. And his name is the Torah. Because the Torah is um, all the names of Hashem, or it's one yeah. long name of Hashem. And the earth brings forth a living soul. These are the notes I took off the video. Nice. The kingdom is the oral Torah. Seek ye first the kingdom. <laughs> The seven spirits are the seven lower sephirot and seven houses of idolatry. And the father is the Torah, the kingdom is the earth. Eternal blessed, life. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Mm -hmm. You'll be filled with Torah. I have not come to abolish the Torah, but to fulfill. Yeah. And that's the strong man who is set up in the house. Yep. So that when those spirits come back, they don't, they don't have just an empty house that they can just go to town in. Yeah. But they find they find holy separating in that person's house. Oh, I can't be here. Yep. Shem's here. Oh, the mezuzah's on the doorpost. The, the Shomer Dalet Israel. Exactly. And yep. he who studies Torah causes the angel, the accuser, to be banished or to cease his accusations at the very least. Like the Arizal describes concerning Iov. 
who basically did nothing to prevent Pharaoh from pillaging the Jewish people of their wealth. So Mita Kanega Mita, he hands Iope over to the Satan because he was prosecuting the Jewish people at the Yom Suf. So that's, this is another aspect of teshuva. When we engage in Torah study and we study for the sake of heaven, that we, we merit a good judgment, a good livelihood for the year that's coming. I mean, do you remember that uh, Eruvine passage you shared about the confession? Um, I and I was just like, oh, that's the Romans 10. Because you were like, I found another connection uh -huh. with the Romans 10, the confessing uh, passage. Because oh, it was talking yeah. about who's gone into heaven to bring Messiah down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah Can you share that? That was, <laughs> that was epic. Yeah. Um. Because I'm thinking along the lines of the confession, you know, and the, the aspect of judgment and things like that. Yeah. Uh, Romans 10, 14. Mm -hmm. But how can they call on someone if they haven't trusted in him? And how can they trust in someone if they haven't heard about him? And how can they hear about someone if no one is proclaiming him? And how can people proclaim? Proclaim him unless God sends them. As the Tanakh puts it, how beautiful are the feet of those announcing good news about good things. The problem is they haven't all paid attention to the good news and obeyed it. For Yeshiyahu says, Adonai who has trusted, Adonai who has trusted what he has heard from us. So, trust comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes through a word proclaimed about the Mashiach. But I say, isn't it rather that they didn't hear? No, they did hear. Their voice has gone out throughout the whole world and their words to the ends of the earth. But I say, isn't it rather that Israel didn't understand? I will provoke you to jealousy over a non-nation, over a nation void of understanding. I will make you angry. That's Devarim. Yeah. Um, I believe he's quoting from Parashah HaIzimu. Yeah, and then... Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Because earlier on in the chapter, um, you know, starting at the first verse, brothers, my heart's deepest desire, my prayer for God for Israel is for their salvation. For I can testify to their zeal for God. And there's another rumination. How how can we? It's not that we can provoke provoke Israel to jealousy. Better yet, how can we provoke them to zealousness? 
for Mashiach as because of his obedience to Torah. Um, my wife and I were watching the rabbi who found Messiah, Yitzhak Kaduri. And I'm sure you're well aware of how a lot of his sons are claiming that that letter that he wrote a year before his death, shortly before his death, is a forgery. Yeah. Unfortunate. Yeah. Um, I mean, it looks genuine to me. Ultimately, we, we know it's all about timing. Yeah. Because they so did, not, yeah, they did interview a couple of his students, and they are believers in Mashiach, Yeshua. One yeah. of them even went so far as to say, "You're not a complete Jew unless you believe in Yeshua." Wow, how's that for thirteen principles? Well, encapsulated yet. <laughs> Goodness. You know? Well, yeah, Shaul quotes Deborah 30 here. Do not say in your heart who will ascend to heaven, that is to bring the Mashiach down, or who will descend into Sheol, that is to bring the Shiach up from the dead. What then does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word about trust, which we proclaim, namely, that if you acknowledge publicly with your mouth that Yeshua is Lord and trust in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be delivered. That's basically what Kaduri's two students did. They confessed him publicly. Mm -hmm. You know, as we all, as we have done, you know, as we're continuing to do as of this moment is to declare Mashiach, Yeshua. Which technically happens every time you recite words of Torah. Mm -hmm. Which that's the, the whole Eruvine, uh, Tractate Eruvine about why we need a Torah study out loud. You know, speak forth your Torah study. Yeah. That's your public declaration. Because, you know, it, it to me, I, I've never uh, understood why did it have to be such an ABC thing for salvation or a Romans Road thing or an altar call. When really, when you begin to speak forth the word of God, you know, and we we speak forth the word of God at least three times a day. Uh, RV, Shakari, Menka, packed full of verses of Torah. Don't don't even mention the seven aliyot to the Torah scroll on Shabbat. Come on, man. I was just about to mention that. Who's Torah. really getting saved? Yeah, that's that's just it right here. That's another point that Shaul is making here. Yep. I love it, man. I just love seeing everything in its right place. Yeah, where 
it's we understand it the way we're supposed to. Yeah. It just falls nicely into place without and this is the this is the sham revealing it to us. Yeah. So you great. Know, you know, that's that's the part that I love. <laughs> He's drawing close to us right now. And here we are with the last uh, nine days of a lure, you know. <laughs> you know, and we can go into Rosh Hashanah with confidence. That we, it's Yopinan, first letter, that we won't shrink back at his coming. Wow. Another aspect of the rehearsal. But we have this confidence in us that when he appears, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. Wow. To me, that's just incredible. That's a gift, truly is. Yeah. It's um um, um yeah, I got Likutin out um Moharan up. Um Let's see. Um, <laughs> see, uh, Likute Moharen, Volume 2, 12. For joy comes from the heart, as is written in Psalm 4 8. You put joy in my heart, and the heart is binah, understanding. Takuni Zohar introduction. There one finds the wine of joy. Zohar 3, 127a. The hidden world corresponding to Psalms 104.15, wine that makes the heart rejoice. So the inner aspect of Bina is joy. Yeah. That's the emotional part of the Sephira of Bina. Trying to find uh, the notes from Rabbi Trugman, but he went into how each of the Sephirot have an inner aspect to them. And it's interesting that we just went over uh, Bina, is how you, uh, is the inner aspect of joy. Yeah, I don't know if I can find it, but okay. Uh... No, that's not it. But he did mention <laughs> um, this is crazy. So he's talking about uh, Moshe and the partzuf. And this was one of his teachings that he gave uh, back during uh, the summer when he was teaching the Seasons of Soul class. And he says that Moshe was drawn from the water, which is Chokmah, 
And the womb that he was birthed through is Bina. So, yeah, so basically talking about the the way that you get to joy, you know, which technically is the the birth of Moshe, (laughs) which is understanding. It comes from Chokmah, (laughs) which is all about uh, Bitul and self-nullification. Yeah. So you have self-nullification gives birth to joy is the picture yeah because i always wonder yeah hebrews 12 2 says for the joy set before him he endured the stake which by the way is a device of public shame but to him it was joy and Shaul writes in Philippians, despising the shame. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, so I got the Orkaim out on Devarim 11. Um, 30, 11, 13. I'm about to be like, you went back to Ray A? Mitzvahim. Yeah, but chapter 30, verse 11. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, for this commandment that I command you today is not beyond you and is not distant. It is not in heaven for you to say, who can ascend to heaven, nor is it across the sea for you to say, who can cross the other side of the sea. Orkayim raises three questions regarding the wording of this of these verses. One, we need to understand that which it says, this commandment that I have commanded you today. After all, the Jewish people had already received all of the commandments at Mount Sinai. Two, another difficulty concerns the seemingly repetitious statement, it is not beyond you, and it is not distant. Why not being distant is included in not being beyond you. Yet another difficulty concerns that which it says in verse 13, nor is it across the sea for you to say, who can cross to the other side of the sea for us and take it for us. Now we can understand that which it says in verse 12, It is not in heaven, for that would indeed make the Torah something unattainable. For as it says, subsequently, who can ascend to the heavens for us and take it for us? But if the commandment were across the sea, how would we be justified in saying, how can, who can cross to the other side of the sea for us and take it for us? Why ships, why ships could cross over and take it for us, even if it were on the very distant islands of the sea? Orkain presents an explanation of the passage that will answer all of his questions. Perhaps the Torah means to separately discuss the two 
elements that, if not attained, would make a person unable to observe the Torah. One of them relates to the attaining knowledge of the Torah itself. And the second relates to fulfilling its mitzvot. A person might argue that we cannot be required to observe the Torah either because it is impossible to learn the Torah or because it is impossible to fulfill them, fulfill many of the mitzvot as shall be explained. The verse responds to each of these arguments. Regarding the argument that we are unable to gain proper knowledge of the Torah, it says, it is not beyond you. And then in the following verse, it goes on to explain what being beyond you means by saying it is not in heaven. That is in response to the preposition that knowledge of the Torah is unattainable, the verse says. It is not in heaven and thus unattainable as it was originally before the Torah was given. For Moshe ascended to heaven and brought it down for us. So it was available right here before us to study. And regarding the argument that we are unable to attain fulfillment of its mitzvot, it says, and it is not distant. And then in verse 13, it goes on to explain what being distant means by saying, nor is it across the sea for you to say, etc. This means that your situation is not like what happened to Moshe, who, despite having been the one to make Torah knowledge attainable for us, for he is the one who ascended to heaven and brought it down to brought down the Torah. Nevertheless, he was prevented from achieving the fulfillment of its mitzvot that are dependent on the land i.e. the mitzvot that can be observed only in Eretz Yisrael, which are a great number of the mitzvot, nearly a majority of the Torah. It can thus be said that the mitzvot in general remain across the sea from him. Go back to Devarim 1, when they're at the Yarden. Mm -hmm. From him for... He was unable to cross the Jordan and enter Eretz Israel in order to fulfill them. The rest of the Jewish people, on the other hand, were able to cross the sea in order to enter the land and fulfill its mitzvot. He's relating these words to this to that generation. Because when you cross this river, Jordan, you cannot say, who's going to go out to the other side and get it for us? Hmm. Fulfillment of the mitzvot, therefore, was not across the sea for them. We thus understand why our verse mentions that the commandment is both not beyond you and not distant. It is not beyond you means that the Torah is no longer in heaven, so you are able to know it. And it is not distant means that you will enter Eretz Yisrael, so you will be able to fulfill all of its mitzvot. We also understand the significance of its not being across the sea. Archaim has thus answered his second and third questions before answering his first question, why it says that I command you today. Archaim addresses a difficulty with the wording of verse 13 according to his approach. Now, although it says, who can cross to the other side of the sea for us and take it for us, which seems to indicate that the crossing of the sea would 
be to gain knowledge of the Torah rather than to fulfill its mitzvot. This is because the verse refers to the argument that we would be unable or at least find it extremely difficult to gain knowledge of the Torah if it were across the sea along with the argument that we would be unable to fulfill its mitzvot. If we were not able to enter Eretz Israel, the verse thus says, who can cross to the other side of the sea for us and take it for us so that we can listen to it, which refers to the Torah knowledge and perform it, which refers to the fulfillment of the mitzvot. In reality, however, the main thing the verse had in mind in the clause that it discusses the Torah being across the sea is the inability to fulfill its mitzvot while outside Eretz Israel. Hmm. Or, yeah, Orkayim answers his first question. The verse was particular to say the commandment that I command you today because it means at the current time when they were poised to enter the land. For it was then that the matter of fulfilling the mitzvot was near to them, although the commandment had already been issued at Mount Sinai. A verse means that they were now about to obey and fulfill these commandments. And the final point, the reason our verse refers to the Jordan, which is a river as the sea, is because it spills into the Dead Sea. As it says in the book of Yehoshua uh, 3.16 regarding the Jordan and the water that descends to the Arabah Sea, the Salt Sea, i.e. the Dead Sea, ceased and was cut off. The Jordan is thus called sea because it is con it is connected to the Dead Sea. Hmm. So what I like what the Orkayim does here, he connects the physical with the spiritual. And everything he says here. Which is what the mitzvah does. Yeah, exactly. And again, you know, uh, Hebrews 11.1, 1, now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Yeah, Shaul just goes ahead and says that... Um, what did Moshe bring down? <laughs> he brought Mashiach. It's crazy. Um, um, there was something else I had bookmarked. That I can I connected part of uh, what I see Romans Romans sit, uh, ten six through um, nine in Lichtei Moharan. about the the carpenter. Um, I just have to get back to it.
Bear with me for a moment, folks. I get this. <laughs> this is that patience thing we were talking about earlier. Yeah. <laughs> Just giving a bone to chew on. You know, I'm still thinking about being a sailor's wife. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's like, beautify yourself with the mitzvah. Be ready at any moment. Yeah. So now the part about that uh, antidote that I'm thinking is she got creative. It's a true statement, but what are the, what are the, uh, what is it? What is the possibility? Of, what's the statistics of a wind blowing the sailor back to shore? You know, like, uh, your trip has changed, you know, <laughs> passage redirected. And it's like, oh, I'm home early. You know, what are the chances of that? Probability. That's the word. And so she was just like, well, perhaps there'll be a change of plans. It'll show up early. Man, I'm telling you, if that ain't the thing for us, you know, understanding we're waiting on our king, we're waiting, waiting for Mashiach. You know, the temple, the end of this exile. Perhaps yeah. there could be a change of plans and they could end like tomorrow. I mean, you just, <laughs> you just don't know. I mean, you know, you really right don't. From the gates of Teshuva, you know, be prepared to meet your God today. And the, the Rabbi Kesson video you sent out a couple weeks ago that said, we don't know if this Mita year will lead to a Yovel or not. Uh, yeah, that's, yep. Oh, like, wait, the most accurate people in the world. And we're like, yeah, we don't know. <laughs> this could be a, a Shmita that goes to a Yovel or it could just be a regular Shmita. We don't, we don't know. No man knows the day or the hour. There's that. <laughs> except, except the father. And we know the rabbinical of that from Maseke uh, Rosh Hashanah. It's by rabbinical decree that the new moon is declared. Not by a single witness. In other words, you don't know what hour the moon will be sighted. Right. Because it's not Perfect. easy. It's not easy to spot. You have to know what you're looking for. Right. And you weren't fooling the Sanhedrin when you came up with your date, you know, no. like, oh, I saw the moon. And it's like, did you? <laughs> yeah. See, there's a difference between uh, the sanctification of the new month and the sighting of the moon. There are two separate brackets for that. Yep. And the Kiddush Lavana. Yeah, that right there, sanctifying the the reappearance of the moon. Yeah, so you got the sanctify the month, sight the moon, and then Kiddush Lavana. Which, by the way, Halakha says you cannot do the Kiddush Lavana before the third day 
That was months. You gotta wait. You gotta wait 72 hours. That's right. Come on, what you got? (laughs) And the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. Yep. And then the giving of the Torah on the third day, I will descend upon the mount. Sanctify yourselves. Don't let no one come up the perimeter of the mountain. <laughs> Lest a dog be shot through with an arrow. <laughs> yep. So, Rosh, Rosh Hashanah stuff. Yep. So, yeah, I, I, yep, I'm with you on that. <laughs> you know? But that's the thing, you know, Moshe's sternest rebuke in Devarim was that the B'nai Yisrael did not serve Hashem with joy. Mm. And he was speaking about that previous generation. So, look, guys, I'm telling you right now, serve him with joy because he's giving you the land. That he swore for Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. Yeah. Rejoice in that. That's Olam Haba. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, you got too many religious groups that are speaking against the land. Committing the same Avaro as the spies did. And Shem's just going to say, look, man, I'm not going to let you in. Right. Psalm 95. There's going to be somebody who you least expect. Will be there. <laughs> They're going to get in. You're going to be like, what? Dude, seriously. You made it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe that person you forgot about that you talked to while you were in the church, you know? You just don't know. I mean, it's like. Yeah, another thing to say, just tell us, don't be sure of yourself until the day of your death. (laughs) Dude. Okay. Um, Did you find what your, uh, this is the carpenter thing, right? Yeah. Ah, okay. Yeah. This is the Holy One, as is written. Psalms 104.3, who lays the beams of his upper chambers in the waters? This is also, as our sages taught, your God is a carpenter. The debasement of this garment produces haughtiness, which corresponds to the seven royal houses of idolatry. Because of this idolatry, the Jewish people were exiled from their land. As our sages taught, Israel was not exiled until the seven royal houses 
have worshipped idolatry. The house swept clean and the seven spirits. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. And this is the reason why idolatry is called splendor, as in uh, Isaiah 44, 13, like the splendor of a man to sit in the house for idolatry, which is haughtiness comes from a debasement of his splendor. And this is seven years ago. This corresponds to haughtiness, the seven houses of idolatry mentioned above. And it has not yet reached the ground. That is because this sin of this sin, we have still not returned to our land as a result of this sin of haughtiness, which is likened to serving idolatry. The seven royal houses of idolatry were exiled from our land. And this is why we have not yet returned to our land, all because of this sin of haughtiness, which is synonymous with idol worship. And this is not only because the water is abundant, as I was reading from Likute Amarine, for water brings all kinds of growth. Um, what's it? Um, yeah. Yeah. The appetite for pleasures from the element of water, for water makes to grow all kinds of enjoyment, frivolity and scoffing, boasting, and idle talk. Perfect connection with Moharant, with Rabbi Nachman, from the element of air. Yeah, I mean, that's like. And every idle word will be required of you. you know, by your words, will be justified. By your words, you'll be uh, condemned. Right, which is why he says, I won't judge you. Yeah. Which, if you read the Siddur, at the preface, it tells us prayer is called self-judgment. So Yochanan 3, and I'm going to read that starting at verse 16, which is this quoted so profusely. For God so loved the world that he gave his only and unique son so that everyone who trusts in him may have eternal life instead of being utterly destroyed. For God did not send his son into the world to judge the world, but rather so that the so that through him the world might be saved. Those who, okay, verse 18, those who trust in him are not judged. <laughs> those who do not trust have been judged already. Yeah. 
in that they have not trusted in the one who is God's only and unique son. Now this is the judgment that light has come into the world. But people love the darkness rather than the light. Why? Because their actions were wicked. For everyone who does evil things hates the light and avoids it. So that his actions won't be exposed. But everyone who does what is true comes to the light so that all may see that his actions are accomplished through God. You know, and going back to uh, all the more, so is he who neglects any positive law which he is able to fulfill. For instance, whoever whoever is able to study Torah and does not, regarding whom our sages have quoted, because he hath despised the word of the Lord, that soul shall be utterly cut off. Because, you know, the other thing about um, trusting or not trusting, you know, that's always a present choice that we have to make. Because the lifestyle of repentance is all about what you're currently choosing to do. You don't live off of yesterday's glories, you know, or worry about tomorrow's woes as much as you are in the moment. You know, so at any point, should you choose to trust in the son that is unique of Hashem, which is really the word, you know, you enter into what the Messiah just said, but you can also pull yourself out of that. If you began to despise the Torah and not walk in its ways. And you'll be cut off. Yeah. Because, you know, you think about people like Korok. Yeah. He was the epitome of attaching to Hashem. He carried the ark. But all of a sudden, him and his whole household. That wasn't good enough? (laughs) How could you not, how could you say, this is not good enough? I want to be the Kohen Gadol. We got to carry the ark, the Brit our own. I mean, that just meant the ark became common to him. Treating common something that is holy, trampling underfoot the Son of God. Oh man, Hebrews 10 23. Okay, I have to read that to connect that I, that is just like what is wrong with you man <laughs> you got a problem on your hands you know <laughs> oh <laughs> wow Therefore, let us approach the holiest place with a sincere heart and full assurance that comes from trusting 
with our hearts sprinkled clean from a bad conscience and our bodies washed in pure water, let us continue holding fast to the hope we acknowledge without wavering for the one who made the promise is trustworthy. And let us keep paying attention to one another in order to spur each other on to love and good deeds. Not neglecting our own congregational meetings as some have made a practice of doing, but rather encouraging each other. And let us do this all the more as you see the day approaching. For if we deliberately continue to sin after receiving the knowledge of the truth, like Korak received the knowledge of the truth, he carried the Aron. It had the Torah scrolls in it, Aaron's rod that budded, the showbread. Which, by the way, Teshuva means drawing close to Hashem. Mm -hmm. If you're carrying the ark, how much close, how close is that? <laughs> That's some Abraham's bosom stuff right there. I mean, for if we deliberately continue to sin after receiving the knowledge that there no longer remains a offering for sin, but but only the terrifying prospect of judgment, of raging fire that will consume the enemies. Someone who disregards the Torah of Moshe is put to death without mercy on the word of two or three witnesses. Think how much worse will be the punishment deserved by someone who has trampled underfoot the Son of God, who has treated something common, the blood of the covenant, which made him holy, and who has insulted the Spirit, giver of God's grace. That's the Father. The Father is the Torah. You just treated something holy as common. Right. Chokma. Abba. The Gavura. On the side of Ema. For the one we know is the one who said, vengeance is my responsibility. I will repay. And then he said, Adonai will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Which, by the way, is one of the uh, the death penalties. Like there's uh, the hand of God. Then there is karet, yeah. where you're cut off. And then there's the, the courts, the judges that you're going to go before. And the way it works is the hand of God is considered to be the highest of those uh, punishments so therefore when it's a terrible thing to fall into the hands of god that's basically saying you're beyond the courts being able to judge you appropriately or you being cut off which is super severe like you're beyond that that's yeah that's the last resort of the sanhedrin is to corrupt and in and, many ways, karate is more feared than even death itself. Why? Because you're outside the community. 
And then, you know, what else is crazy about the hand of God is in the natural. It looks like you're getting away with it because nothing is happening. Yeah. And they have to make sure that you can't get away with it. Again, the statement here, for he has despised the word of Hashem. That soul shall be utterly cut off. Yeah. You know, and it's it's crazy because you don't ever want to live your life. I mean, you can because obviously we have free will, but it's not wise to live your life based off of what results you see. So if, if that was the case, you know, people who exercise and work out wouldn't do what they do. Because, I mean, I went to the gym today, so how come I'm not seeing any results? You know, or you're eating a new diet. I ate a good meal today. How come I don't feel better? It's like, well, how long have you not been eating good? You know, kind of thing. <laughs> but, but just yeah, you're not going to gonna the, see results right away. It takes time. Yeah. And so it's a terrible thing to fall into the hands of Hashem. That's, I mean, those examples are very low compared to that one. But anyway. Yeah, I mean, so there's more epicness there. <laughs> I mean, man. Um, so continuing. Okay, so in these passages and in many more, there is clear teaching that we will all stand at the judgment and we will all be judged according to our deeds. Argue about theological twists if you want. It's still in the plain text. But, you know. <laughs> of course, we know that some people's aversion to this kind of talk is that in their minds, works don't work. There's a pun in there, I think. I would say pun intended. <laughs> wow. And I would say, give the shameless plug that works work. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, scripture says otherwise. Okay, there's your shameless plug. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what I want to know then is this. What are good deeds? In Revelation, we're given a clear indication what good deeds are. Blessed. Ashray, happy are those who do his commandments. I bet you that's the Hebrew word that you will see there. <clears throat> 22, 14. Blessed are those who do his commandments. That they may have right to what? The tree of life? That's talking rectification for the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Which is the Torah. Yeah. Tree of life, Zeron Pin. Mm -hmm. And may enter through the gates into the city. Uh, 
and we don't want to be like the rich young ruler. Oh yeah, okay, so you're gonna to have to go to that verse. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I don't know if I'm right about that, if that's the word that appears in that verse at the beginning. I don't know, let's see. Um, I feel like it is. But again, we don't want to live off of feelings. Nope. We have to go to the source, folks. And we're talking the source of sources. <laughs> right. 2214 says Ashray. <laughs> uh. So why would you not want to be happy doing these things? You just said, well, obviously it was an hour ago, but you said that uh, when, we, when the spies went into the land, they were given supernatural strength to pick up fruit and carry it back to the camp. First of all, not only did they pick it up, but how far did they have to carry that? <laughs> so I'll be mean, back to the other side of the Jordan. Yeah. Talk about the Torah not uh, being far from you. It's not across the sea, right? Yep. It's yep. In, your, in your mouth. It's accessible to you right now. But you talk about why would you not be joyous? I mean, Hashem confused our enemies. He parts seas for us. I mean, it's not about the miracles because it's our relationship and our focus with them and fearing him and, and walking in his ways. But as we're doing that, wow. <laughs> yeah, that's why I want to enter into the high holy days with joy and gladness, you know? Can you hear our tone? May we all. Yeah, because he wants that. We should be happy because we're doing his way. We're literally doing what he desires Hafez. his creatures to do. Hafez Kaim. Oh, which he loves life. Desire life. You know, it's don't be like the rich young ruler of Matthew 19. Now behold, one came and said to him, good teacher. I would paraphrase and say, good master. What good thing shall I do? Notice he says, what good thing shall I do? Started off right. So far. <laughs> Shall I do that? I may have eternal life. So he said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one. That is Hashem. But if you want to enter into life, 
keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? Here we go. <laughs> oh, man. The first indication of a heart problem is when given the clear instruction from the creator of the universe that, but if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments, the reply is, which ones? Which ones, beloved? Every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the living God. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Shem. Because they all came out at once. Which led Israel to say, uh, we can't take Hashem speaking to us. You talk to us. You know where else we see the ashray? Um, and our prayers. Yep. And... That is Tehillim 84, verse 5. It says, praiseworthy are those who dwell in your house. What we got here? Oh, I'm in 85. Of course, I'm not going to see that verse. But 84... Says Ashrei Yoshve. Ah, yep. Are you serious? No commentary. Here I go. <laughs> Yeah, I've started getting uh, multiple commentaries of Psalms because some of them don't say things. And some of them do. <laughs> yeah, that's what I need to get myself from art school is uh, the commentaries on the writings and the Nebuchadnezzar. Um, I Yay. Okay. Rashi and Radak, the Kohanim and the Levites, Ashrei, which were to be a kingdom of priests, uh, the scholars and devout men who meditate there in solitude, any 
Indeed, anyone who merely laid eyes upon the temple was Ashray. Oh, man. <laughs> Can you imagine the third temple? Oh, man. That foreshadows the third temple. Happy are yeah. we to look forward to it. It was... What's his name? Zachariah, the uh, the prophet who was waiting on the birth of Yeshua, and he was finally born. And he was so excited just to see him. <laughs> have to, man. Just making the point here, man, of being happy, you know, joyful, sinfra. Like the sight of Yeshua sparked Simka. Matsunu Mashiach. We have found the real Mashiach. Oh. You about to read some? Yeah, I just got out my sedure. Um, <laughs> this is insane. <laughs> um, this, I, in my studio, I have a song for each day of the week, a song for each day of the week. This is for two, uh, for the third day of the week. And this is to Helam 82, a psalm of Asaph. God stands in the divine assembly. In the midst of the judges, he shall judge. Until when will you judge lawlessly and favor the presence of the wicked? Selah. Judge the needy and the orphan. Vindicate the poor and impoverished. Rescue the needy and destitute. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. They do not know, nor do they understand. They walk in darkness. All foundations of the earth collapse. I had said, you are like angels. You are all sons of the Most High. But like mortals, you shall die. And like one of the princes, you shall fall. Arise, O God, judge of the earth, for you allot the heritage among all the nations. Yeah, I wanted to go to the Amidah. Another good one to always do is Avina Maltani. Yeah. Uh, say, be favorable, Hashem our God, toward your people Israel. Turn to their prayer and restore the service to the Holy of Holies of your temple 
speedily accept the fire offerings of Israel and their prayer with love and favor. May the service of your people, Israel, always be favorable to you. Then, uh, then recite, let's see, because of Rosh Hashanah uh, Eloheinu, our God and the God of our forefathers, may there rise up, arrive, and reach, be seen, and be favored, be heard, be considered, and be remembered the remembrances, the remembrance of us, the remembrance of our forefathers, the remembrance of Jerusalem, your city, the remembrance of Mashiach, the son of David, your servant, and the remembrance of your entire people, the family of Israel, before you the deliverance for goodness, for grace, for kindness, and for compassion, for good life, and for peace on this day of Rosh Hodesh to have mercy on us, on it, and to bring us salvation. Remember us on it, Hashem, our God, for goodness. Consider us on it for blessing and help us on it for good life. In the matter of salvation and compassion, have pity, grant us favor, have mercy, and be compassionate with us and help us for our eyes are turned to you. For you, O oh God, are the gracious and compassionate King. Yeah, then there's uh that we were talking about Ed Samak to Davidic Rain, but I was more focused on temple service. Yeah. You know, especially after what you just brought, you know. Yeah, you don't even know what's going on in there, but yet just seeing the temple, you're just like, oh my goodness, instant state of joy. Yep. But it uh it said Rebenu Yona on Barakot 32a explains the supplicant should feel he is presenting his petition before God's heavenly throne. So um it takes an hour for the supplicant to succeed in arousing within himself this sense of being in God's house. So basically entering into the house of Hashem, like whether it be the Bet Midrash, the Bet Knesset, the Bet Tefillah, when you pray, when you study, it's, it's coming before the throne of God. Like there's a closeness, you know, back to Korak and the Ark. It says that Sanhedrin 91a, that one who recites songs of praise to God in this world will be permitted to continue to praise you in the world to come. So, Ashray. I'm into that.
So as we approach these days of awe, as we approach the judgment day, let us never again utter the words which once. Amen. Let us be zealous for good deeds. Keep the commandments, all of them. Ooh, we got a verse from Titus? Yep. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. I mean, what prayer did I just read? Besides. Yeah. <laughs> Ample service. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Messiah Yeshua, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people and sell us for good works. Titus 2, 11 through 14. Yeah, 613 mitzvot, technically 620, which is Ketzer, crown. 613 breaks down into 248 positive and 365 negative, which are the organs and the sinews of a body. So the mitzvot represent a body and also represent a crown. So to separate any of those out means to break all that up. Yeah, 620 minus 7 is 613. Seven lower, oh my gosh. 7 lower, Sephiro. I could connect to those seven spirits as well yeah. as far as mitigating aspect because some of the seven for instance, is candle lighting, Hanukkah, singing the Hallel. Yep, the seven days of creation capped off by Shabbat. Yeah. And it's in Genesis 2 that we see for the first time in the Torah, <coughs> um, Elohim, Hashem. Right. Because you talked about enclothement earlier, the Sephira inside the Sephira inside the Sephira. Well, the name of Hashem, the Yodin Hay and the Bobin Hay, is inside of Elohim. Yeah. It has Elohim of the Gematria of 86 is also the same word as nature. Mm -hmm. um, I don't have that word off the top of my, tip of my tongue. Ateva. Ateva. Mm -hmm. Teva. Ark that Noah built. Right. Made from trees that took 120 years to grow. That's right. That's Midrash said, says, baby sheet. Um, 
and Noah could be considered more righteous had he attempted to bring others into the ark other than his immediate family. Yeah, attempt. Um, you know, which is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to bring others into the household of faith. And how do we do that? Through good works. Because they will see, see your good works and glorify, and glorify. Is in heaven. Amen. And the Torah is the Father that is in heaven. Yep. But as the Orkaim explains, it was brought down by an intermediary. By who? Moshe. Wow. He, he functioned as an intermediary, but the Arizal says that he was a Malach. Wow. Wow. And Hashem sent an angel to bring you out of Mitzrayim. Make sure that you, uh, in, and also in Parashah Mishpatim, it says, uh, I think it's in Exodus 23, Hashem has sent an angel before you. Make sure that you obey everything that he commands you. But exactly. he will not forgive transgressions. Mm-hmm. He so, doesn't understand that. Yeah. Because the Arizal derives that Moloch was in, that Moshe was a Moloch because of Exodus 18.5 where Moshe told all this to his father-in-law, Yitro. The first letters of each of those Hebrew words spell Moloch. Uh, yeah, and it says Yitro came for the sake of Hashem to, com- to uh, convert to Judaism. Because yep. he heard, but he also saw what Hashem did for us. Yep. Uh, Tehillim 19, verse 8, for the Torah of Adonai is perfect, restoring the soul. Converting the soul. Wow. <laughs> Good stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, a little taste of the <clears throat> commentary. Um, he gets into new covenant or renewed covenant. There's some that uh, there has been a debate in messianic circles for a number of years on whether the new covenant spoken of in the Gospels, 1 Corinthians and Hebrews, is new or renewed. The debate has centered on the Greek words used. The question is unfortunate in my mind because it is missing some very important points regarding covenants in general. And at best, such a discussion is a distraction. 
The incorrect well, focus comes when one tries to fit millennia of anti-Semitic theology into the explosion of interest in the Hebraic nature of our faith. The first step in some people's minds is to better explain what that last third of our Bibles is called. Many Messianics want to call it the Brit Hadashah or the New Covenant. The problem, of course, with that is that one is attaching a Hebrew name to a portion of our Bible is using the same mistaken perspective. The books in the New Testament are not the New Covenant. So calling them by a Hebrew name, Brit Hadashah, still does not correctly convey what they represent. In contrast, you will call the pages before Matthew 1.1 the Old Covenant. This is fraught with error stemming from a misunderstanding of the very word covenant. Of course, you know, I don't use that terminology anymore. I'll, I'll either use Torah or Tanakh. And, and I will refer to... Um, the new writings as the apostolic writings. Right. Or the, or the Basora. Egeret Shliachim. Yeah. The letters uh, of the yeah. Stone. Or Ketavim uh, Shlechim. There you go. Um, Oddly, the New Testament contains no covenants. It surely shows some fulfillments of the New Covenant, but this portion of Scripture itself is not a covenant in of itself. It can, it's a reiteration of the covenants that Hashem has made. Yeah. And uh, kind of and, like uh, Devarim. Yeah, you know, Mishnah Torah. It's a repetition, because that's what the word Mishnah means, to repeat. So when you read the Basora and the Apostolic Writings, you're, you're reading the Mishnah Torah. <laughs> because look what... It, I mean, I was just reading from Hebrews 10, right? And then Romans 10. Yes. You know, the reference uh, used, Adonai would judge his people. That's Devarim 32, 35 and 36. So, yeah. Can definitely call it a Mishnah because they were also uh, writing this during the Tanaic period, which yep. is when the Talmud was still being codified. Yep, exactly. Um, and we know that Shaul in Romans 10 is quoted in Deuteronomy 30, 11 through 14. And I just read the commentary from Orkaim on that. Yep. So that's the other thing. When you pick up one of these commentaries, you know, like like the Orkaim, this is like a Mishnah Torah. He's repeating the words of the Torah. Any commentary you pick up, the Rambam, the Rashi, 
They're mm-hmm. repeating the very words that Hashem has spoken. And they're giving their insight to those words that were spoken by the king of the universe himself. Which is why we treat these books as holy separate because they contain his name. We don't treat these as common. Which is why God forbid that you should ever, never ever have a book on the floor. One of these on the floor. Never. Right. Reverence uh, for the sacred. Yes. Um, So if you were to read a commentary on biblical covenants, you would read about various covenants named various things. Some books will call the first covenant between God and man the Adamic covenant. And some would say the, the Adamic covenant. The next would be the Noah, Noahic covenant, followed by the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, and the Davidic covenant. Last and most commentaries would be the New Covenant. And I would agree with Spurlock. I don't agree with any of those distinctions because the Torah does not make such distinctions. Because all the covenants that Hashem makes are built on one another. So there is actually one. Yeah. Um, That's like saying... You know, this is nothing more than the same premise that most theologians use um, the civil law, the moral law, the ceremonial law, those kinds of things. Again, those are not distinctions that the Torah uses. However, the distinctions that the Torah does use are hukat, mishpat, and pick uh, day. Um, uh, testimonies, judgments, decrees. Mm-hmm. Those are self distinctions. But those are words that Hashem has uses. You know, Mashan Kodesh, the holy tongue. So. So, you know, it's often that we need to remind ourselves of these things so that we don't lose our focus on what's important when we take the, when we study these things. Um, um, so go back to our scripture portion again, Deuteronomy 29.12. In your English English Bible, these people are standing at the threshold of the land and are being told that they are there to make a covenant with the God of the universe. So I ask you again, which covenant is this? Is it the Mosaic, the Deuteromosaic covenant, the semi-Mosaic covenant, the Moabic covenant, or what? <laughs> it's, you know. Yeah, nicely done. Because it doesn't specify. Yeah, the fact is, as most students of the Torah know, the scripture makes no such demarcation. 
with this covenant or any covenant except the new covenant. As most students of the Torah know, there are multiple covenants listed between Sinai and this place on the plains of Moab. While I understand covenant theology and what it brings to the table in the way of recognizing how God interacts with man, sometimes establishing a theological system, this is important, sometimes establishing a theological system can obscure some very obvious truths. So here's one for you to take to the bank. Pay attention because it will shape the way you see the word covenant from here on out. Are you ready? Here it is. Just like the apostolic scriptures are not a covenant, the Torah itself is not a covenant. It contains the covenants, the details of those covenants, but in of itself, no. Primarily, it's the revelation of Hashem. Yeah. Um, yep. <laughs> there, are multiple there are multiple covenants identified within the Torah, and there is a direct correlation between the Sinai covenant and the Torah. But that is the same correlation between the Torah and every covenant made by God from the beginning. The Torah is God's self-revelation. It contains descriptions of what his righteousness and his holiness look like when manifested in this world. We are the ones that manifest it. Image of the invisible God. Paul's letter to Timothy. Yep. Also uh, cross-referenced in the letter to Colossae. Yep. In the sense that the Torah is the shape of him, we are able to see an outline of the one who makes these covenants with man, but that shape is not the covenant itself. It's not, it's not Hashem. It's just like we need to be reminded every time you see the four letter name in the Tanakh, when you read it in Hebrew, you are to pronounce it as Adonai. But if you read it in English, the halakha is Hashem. Um, but again, you know, this also points to the fact that the mitzvahs are a shadow that point to Mashiach, who is the one casting the shadow. It is the shape. It helps us to identify it. Going back to the previous rumination again, mm -hmm. the mitzvahs identify us. It's like an identifying marker. Another reason why the Jewish people have been so persecuted, why right. Halim says to a potential convert, do you not know that we are a maligned people, that we are persecuted? marginalized
you know, Shaul says it, you know, those who live godly in the Shiach Yeshua will be persecuted. Yep, comes along with it. So what are the... Right? I was going to say, but he who endures to the end. The same shall be saved. Yeah, amen. Uh, so what are the terms or stipulations of the covenant made on Sinai? Did not God pledge his love and fidelity to Israel? Did the people not pledge fidelity to God? Did the people not break that pledge immediately with the golden calf incident? But here's my question. Was the covenant then annulled? Hmm. This is where we get into the blue coat. Well, Moshe smashed the first ones. Right. 13 attributes. Yep, and then Hashem says to him, you carve out the next set and bring them up to me. And then I will write on them. They also read how Devilin. That's the time we're in right now. Moshe's yep. on the mountain with the second set of tablets. Yom Kippur is the day they're revealed. So during this time, we're doing the sleek coat. We're continuing to draw near to Hashem, Bezar Hashem, during the month of Elul. You know, so. Yeah, it's... Uh... Yeah, interesting, you know, because uh, Yosef was bringing up about uh, Bereshit 22.13, where the word, uh, was it, uh, uh, Ba'karanav, his horns, mm -hmm. the two horns of the ram, one blown at Sinai and the other on Rosh Hashanah to bring Mashiach. Amen. Which foreshadows the sin of the golden calf. Because why isn't Egel used in that verse? But rather, Quran, you know, Bakaran Nav. The the uh, the root without without the uh, pronominal suffix and the prefix, the bay prefix and the pronominal suffix of the yud and the vav. In that word, you have Quran, which is horn, in the singular. But the fact that you see that pronominal in that in that word denotes two horns, which is why the sages derive from that word that you have the two horns of the ram. Um, and I think he read a midrash about that too. Why the what part about the ram getting caught in the thicket? I think it's in the midrash. Mm -hmm. I think it was something. Yeah, yeah Hasidine. Hasidine trying to stop the, the offering from being brought. And it turns out that the ram would become the offering <laughs> and would save Isaac's life. But then the sages also say that when Abraham had raised the knife that, that Yitzhak's Nefesh departed and he went into the cave of Machpelah. Mm -hmm. 
which is the, the doorway to Gandhidan. Um, so we know that the covenant wasn't annulled, you know, because that reminds me of the uh, Helam 1, 1986, the and he is faithful to all of his instructions. And so we know that the people broke the covenant in a matter of days, but was it not still binding? Yes, it was. Certainly, God does not cast them off, does he? Instead, he immediately makes a new covenant with Israel. Yes, you read that right. <laughs> As every student of the Torah knows, the covenant made in Exodus 20 and following was broken by the people almost immediately, and God's response was to inscribe a new set of tablets with the ten words on them. Beloved, this event was the institution of a new covenant, no matter what anyone ever tells you. Here it is in Exodus 34.10, and he said, Behold, I make a covenant. Before all your people, I will do marvels such as have not been done in all the earth, nor in any nation, and all the people among whom you are shall see the work of Hashem, for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. Um, if you were to continue reading in Exodus 34, you would read the stipulations of the covenant. It's not the same covenant made some days earlier. The covenant that the people broke, what changed? The one who made the covenant was the same God. The measurement of, fidel of fidelity written in, in 10 broad commands was the same. The people who were the parties to, the, to this new covenant were the same people, except for the fact that some of the previous offenders were dead. Even the medium for writing the measurement of fidelity was the same. Stone tablets. What, what was different? Nothing at all. So, beloved, pay attention to this because this is what we're seeing on, this, on the plains of Moab in this week's portion. This covenant that is being made between God and the people of Israel is far-reaching. The blessings and the curses that were named last week and this week are certainly going to apply. The confusion that most people have with these covenants is that they sound so similar. All the covenants God makes through his prophet Moshe sound the same, but they are not the same covenant. That is why the Mosaic Covenant is a title far too simplistic, although I'm not necessarily opposed to uh, lumping all of these together under such a title for simplicity's sake. If you err in this understanding, you will have a very difficult time when you begin to learn about the new covenant. <laughs> but again, this is What's so great about the ruminations is they really bring you so nicely into these commentaries. And they really just open it up. But you, 
again, you got to toss aside all that theology because it just doesn't work. Because it stands in such stark contradiction to the Torah and in its self-description of the covenants that are contained within it. But, um, but yeah, I just wanted to give a tidbit from the, the commentary there. Um, because where are we standing now? Across from the plains of Moab. Yeah, we're about to enter the land. This is the mentality we need to have, you know. You know, we to enter the land with joy and gladness. I mean, and we go forth. It's been a beautiful 5781s with yeah. opportunities to draw near and to see beautiful things that Hashem is doing. Uh, even in the midst of the chaotic times that we're in, but we know the generation before the appearance of Mashiach Ben David is going to be crazy. <laughs> so we haven't seen anything yet. <laughs> as crazy as what's going on in Afghanistan right now. Yeah. Yeah. You know, our, our, the leaders of our respective countries are doing. Yeah. So that's teaching us that we have to be even more crazy with our growing with Hashem and our teshuva and yearning and crying out because if we're not crying out for Mashiach, it, it does get worse. Because remember, Tractate Sanhedrin says, if we don't repent, Hashem will set up a king as cruel as Haman. Yep. We don't need to wait. The time is now. So may we be courageous and filled with joy to do that. Yep. Yeah. A new commandment I have given you, but it is not a new one, that you love one another as I have loved you. Amen. And in all this, they will know that you are my Talmudim. Um, I you did root out that Lashon Hara, man. You know, Mahavruta told me that if you're struggling with particular sins, that you need to do the opposite of that sin at least three times. So if you have Lashon Hara. What's the opposite of that? And at any moment that you want to recite Lashon Hara, think about the opposite and do it at least three times. Yep. So. Hmm. Um, yeah. Um, I just wanted to go to unlocking the secret of the Arab Rav, this chapter. Because Atikun Ha Kalali. There are 10 songs to recite. Yeah.
and this is Rebbe Nachman. Um, the essence of exile is depression. Redemption comes through Simcha, happiness. This is especially true of the Egyptian exile, which resulted from Adam, Adam's wrongdoing. He sinned in regard to the tree of knowledge, and he caused further spiritual damage due to seminal emissions. This is a reference to Adam's wasted seed that we discussed at length at the beginning of this book. Consequently, in order to repair the damage caused by Adam's uh, wasted seed, the Israelites needed to be purified in Egypt as brought by the Arizal. The tikkun, spiritual rectification, principally comes about through simcha, happiness. In terms of our story through the 10 types of melody, which is why Rabbi Nachman revealed that we should recite the 10 chapters of Psalms that he specified. These 10 Psalms represent the 10 types of melody and a tikkun for the damage caused by seminal emissions. So now we can see how the water castle is linked to our discussion of the Arab Rav, as Rabbi, uh, Rabbi Natan makes clear, the injured queen in the story is referring to, a, to the blemished soul sparks of the Arab Rav, who were captured by the realm of evil, the Sitra Opera, as a result of Adam's nocturnal emissions. The Ten Types of Melody and the Tikkun HaKalali, when Rav Natan talks about the 10 chapters of Psalms that relate to the 10 types of melody that we find in the story of the water castle, he's talking about what is called the Tikkun HaKalali, or general remedy, which is made up of the following 10 Psalms, 6, 32, 41, 42, 59, 77, 90, 105, 137, and 150. Rabbi Nachman first revealed the Tikkun HaKalali to his followers in March 1810, a few months before he died, and a week before he started telling the story of the seven beggars, which contains the story of the water castle. Over the centuries, the Kabbalists knew about the existence of these 10 Psalms or songs and their ability to spiritually correct all sins at their root, even the worst sin of wasted seed. Many of our greatest sages worked tirelessly to try to identify the correct 10 chapters, and some, like the famed Rabbi Eli Melech of Presents, came very close. Unfortunately, they often died before being able to complete the task, as divine permission had not yet been given for them to reveal this secret openly. Rabbi Nachman was given the merit of being the one to finally reveal the correct order of the general remedy for sins or tikkun hakalali, but he still paid a high price for it. In his teachings and conversations, he alluded to the fact that he lost his wife and seen so many of his children die young. As a spiritual price, he was forced to pay for being the one who ultimately revealed this and other lofty spiritual insights to the world. One of the basic tenets of Breslov Kasidu is that the 10 Psalms that make up the Tikkun HaKalali or general remedy can rectify the damage called by an individual's seminal, seminal emissions, particularly if they're involuntary and the individual immerses in a mikvah as soon as possible after the event and then says the Tikkun HaKalali. 
Rebbe Nachman first unveiled the, the order of the Tikkun HaKalali to his followers, he told them, if you can immerse in a mikvah and then say the 10 Psalms, it is certainly best. But even if you are sick or traveling and cannot immerse, saying the Psalms alone is a great remedy. If you can say the Psalms with devotion and feeling, it is best. But saying the words alone also helps. This remedy has not been revealed since the time of creation. These 10 Psalms are a most wonderful and precious remedy. But there are also, there was also a second tradition associated with the power of Tikkun HaKalali to spiritually rectify a person's soul, which will help us to unlock some more secrets about how to rectify the air of God. But they talk about, you know, once you've overcome sexual sins, all the others will simply fall away. Beautiful. Yeah, to kind of sum it up, you know, more briefly. So, but yeah, that's really powerful. So, yeah, we need to bring rectification for the Arab Rav. Let's do it. Yeah. We're meaning that, yeah, we don't agree with our political leaders who stand in opposition to Torah, but at the same time, you know, really can't speak against them, you know. You know, because they, they need salvation too, even though they're in a deeper, they're deeper in, in impurity than we are. Right. Well, so, we can pray for them and we can continue to live the faithful call that we're called to. Yep. Well, with that being said, may we all be inscribed and sealed in the book of life. So don't have an aversion to doing good works. But do them so that the Father who is in heaven may be glorified. Amen. And prayer after study. I thank you, O Hashem, my God, that you have established my portion with those who dwell in the study hall, and you have not established my portion with idlers. For I rise early, and they arise early, I rise early for words of Torah, and they arise early for idle words. I toil and they toil. I toil and receive reward, and they toil and do not receive reward. I run and they run. I run to the life of the world to come, and they run to the pit of destruction, as it is written, and you, O God, you will lower them into the well of destruction. Men of bloodshed and deceit shall not live out half their days. But as for me, I will trust in you. Baruch Ata Adonai Eloheinu Melakaolam Asher Natan Lanu Torat Emet Vechaye Olam Nata Betokhenu Baruch Ata Adonai Notain Ha Torah. Amen.